last week, you had your goldenrod sheet that did part seven. Part seven started with about 1962, what's described as the progressive movement. Uh, it ended up going through the election of Jacob Croist in 1969. Then the walkout in 1974, and we saw the, those who left, small in numbers, uh, nevertheless, I finished up with uh, 1981, that's the point at which uh, Ralph Bowman was elected. Uh, and fellowship terminated with the ALC. I want to begin with uh, a couple of pages from uh, a book, Power Politics in the Missouri Senate, uh, by James D. Berkey. Uh, it's got a black cover. It's not official. It's a black book. Um, there, there have been those throughout uh, Missouri Senate history, and uh, every now and then, someone who is a dissident will will publish uh, what is not the official account, so you can figure out what's exactly going on. All right, page one fifty three. The war sputtered to an end in 1976. So we're looking at uh, seminary walkout. And uh, about that time, they had kind of put an, uh, a lid on things. But the AELC uh, is forming of those who left. Here's what he says. The war sputtered to an end in 1976. Preuss awakened with new powers the day after Anaheim fired four district presidents who refused to bow to his authority. Later that year, Tijan led what he hoped would be a massive exodus from the Missouri Senate into the newly formed Association of Evangelical Lutheran Churches, AELC. Moderates, and read liberals, okay, moderates, who could count a solid 45% of delegates at recent conventions predicted that almost half of Missouri's 2.7 million members and 6,000 congregations would follow. So, you figured you had 2.7 million, you had 6,000 congregations? Yeah, we're pretty sure we can get about half of them to get up and, and leave. They were shocked by the tepid response. By year's end, the AELC could count no more than 100,000 members and 250 congregations. Once again, elitism had returned to haunt moderates. So those who were in control. Tijan, who thought 1,200 congregations would join him, blamed moderate pastors. So Tijan thought they were all coming, got mad at those who were pastors and supported seminets and, and all of this, liberals. Quote, he said, 
pastors who wanted to join could not bring their congregations along because they had neither properly informed them about the events in the Missouri Synod nor adequately prepared them for the formation of a new church. So Tegan said, why didn't we get all these people then? Uh, if there was a large number of pastors with us, well, the congregations wouldn't come with us. And he said the pastors didn't do their job getting them out. Frederick Danker, in his eulogy to Missouri, <laughs> acknowledged that this was a battle of elites that left a laity largely alienated and disillusioned. So, you have the elites, those in control, and relatively the laity, which, uh, again, Tietjen said, hadn't been told and hadn't been prepared. So here's what uh, Danker wrote. Erroneously, we thought that as the pastor goes, so goes the congregation. In the early stages of the war, we thought primarily in terms of reaching the ministers. This was a basic error in judgment. Preuss knew better. He knew that the primary allegiance of the members of the congregations would be to the Senate, not to the ministers. The ministers were intermediaries of authority, but the Senate was the bedrock of authority, especially in the ethnic Midwest. And he, as the president, would be the court of final appeal. Interesting. Um, so, you, you thought the, that it was... What's the ethnic Midwest? Is that us Germans? Yep. <laughs> yep. I didn't know I was ethnic. <laughs> That's why that was still politically yeah. correct to say those things. I, um, yeah, I, I put that so, what's he saying? He's saying this. Uh, the people, the congregation, the people in the Senate, where was, what was their allegiance the club. The club, exactly. That very, very well put. So it was not to, and I said this last time, shockingly, you might say, oh, it was the, the doctrine. You're going to kind of go, no. Oh, it was the pastors who were teaching the doctrine. No. It was to the Senate, which was the authority. If you really wanted to know, the Senate would tell you what was going on, what was right, what was wrong, how to, and who speaks for the Senate. The politicians. The, the, the president, the bureaucracy, the thing. Let me finish this paragraph of Danker, and then I'll get to Brian a couple others. Um, so the president would be the court of final of appeal. By addressing the fears and anxieties of the articulate people far to the right, he was able to pick up those in the mainstream. Most of the pastors could be counted on not to disturb their people. For most of them, meaning the laity, were of a sound mind and viewed the taking of sides as a posture of imbalance. Oh, gee. <laughs> that, that would not be, you know, the pastors didn't disturb, didn't, you know, raise a ruckus. 
and the people didn't want to get involved in 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 those kind of things. Brian, you had a hand. I wasn't here last week, but I mean, are we saying that the con- I mean, to me, the congregation is probably more conservative than the pastors in many cases, and they're not involved in what's going on with uh, historical critical method and all that. They believe the Bible is the word of God, and that's that. And they don't probably even know their pastor is liberal half the time. Right, exactly. So then when they come up and say, hey, we need to leave and go to this liberal senator, I'm like, no. No, right, yeah, exactly. Um, but I would also say that the pastors, nevertheless, even the, whether it was conservative or liberal, it really didn't matter. They didn't tell the people. But we did see that the Legion's dissented even when we left. Okay, so this is describing, at, you know, this period of time. I am going to draw, and I think Brian rightly said, wait a minute, we've been through this, you know, when we left the Senate, and what, yeah, same, same, same. I'll finish this out, but... I was just going to say, we saw this exact same thing. He's right. You know, this guy who wrote the book, there's an allegiance to the Senate. Mm -hmm. You know, he's speaking from the liberal standpoint... We saw the same thing, but opposite the pastors that you thought might leave, didn't they? They had allegiance to the synod. They didn't teach their people. Yeah, I'm sure you make that connection later. Right. I'm coming back to this, so you're going to hear this again. Mary, do you have a question? And, and Rachel had a question. Okay. Uh, uh, I just want to know: Did other? I know you took a couple of guys who were well taught. Uh, with you when you did some of these uh, presentations, right? Uh, did other pastors do that? No. Ta-da. I was just going to say that was exactly our experience at, at Bethel is that it, we had reasonably good pastors up until Johnson. And we didn't know that anything was happening. He was terrible. A liar. Anyway. Um, and then we we started to know that things were not quite right because he was doing things a little bit funny, but we still didn't realize what was going on in the rest of the church body until, you know. Violet. Well, the pastors that wanted to change and the congregation said no, but the congregations didn't get rid of the pastors. No. They were there and now they realize, hey, there's a conservative. They could be more sneaky about their presentation of getting them more, gradually more and more liberal. They were there. Correct. And so the situation, in other words, everybody remained the same. I mean, there were a few that left, but the rest all stayed there. Whether they were liberal, conservative, whatever, they all stayed there and continued on. It didn't. You're right. No, there, there, there wasn't a a, a, a a change. I'm going on. Um, done with Jenker's. Uh, Quote, Carl Barth chalked up the AELC's failure to draw a following to an elitist incapacity to relate to mainstream Lutherans. What does that mean? It means that, yeah, the pastors knew historical critical, they knew all this stuff going on, they couldn't explain it to the people, the people didn't care. Um, it sounded too complex, it... it didn't you know what what was the what was the point? Moderates, he argued, read liberals, simply no longer knew where the church was and figured they represented it. 
But Barth's conservatives were no less elitist, no more capable of drawing a sizable group, grassroots following. A firm, now that is the uh, Balance Inc. is the conservative group that publishes the uh, magazine Affirm and Christian News, which was published by Hermann. So these are the two conservative uh, uh, ones that we're getting out. Were aimed at synodical elites and consistently struggled to stay afloat in a sea of lay disinterest. The lady really didn't care. And conservatives, two offshoots the Federation for Authentic Lutheranism, and the Lutheran Churches of the Reformation. So, going back to our uh, white sheet from last time, in which I showed you the beginning of uh, around 1962, the Lutheran Church of the Reformation and the Federation for Lutherans, or I don't know, up here, what happened. It says the conservatives, they couldn't do any better. When they tried to get some changes or to leave or to do whatever, um, they could assemble no less an insignificant an exodus from a Senate, which they found too liberal. Quote, you better look behind you to see who's following you, Barth had warned the FAL in 1971. In other words, you guys are getting ready to leave. Who's following you? And they weren't, because they were following the Senate, the club that was telling them and Preuss was telling them. Conclusion, most likely pastors themselves simply had too much to lose by leaving the LCMS. The Senate had grown large and wealthy since World War II, and ministers now had significant medical and retirement benefits tied up to its machinery. It would have been a great deal to sacrifice. So, what I have kind of gone through with this, which went to the walk on 1971, brings us into 1981 or so. Uh, I also then talked about the various groups that have tried to leave, whether uh, conservatives, since we've already saw the AELC with the liberals and the walkout and things of that sort, and, and the distinctions that, you know, by and large, not many have, have done that. I did make a uh, side route to go and to talk about from 1982 on the ELCA and uh, how due to uh, ecumenism, due to the historical critical method, due to uh, justice issues, which led them into women's ordination, homosexuality, you know, kind of all, all of the uh, kind of things. Um, I took that kind of down to the present. There's not a whole lot to say there with that. At this point, it's time to, and, and you know, this was our chart, um, you know, pretty well 1981 is where we stopped. We said that when the Missouri Senate said no to the ALC, 1982, they have fast-forwarded in, everybody goes into the ELCA. 
So what about Missouri at this point? Um, the reason I, <coughs> several reasons I mentioned this is, as he said, oh, the war has ended, the walkout is done, you know, they're all going crazy, uh, um, everything is fine and dandy back in the land of Oz. Not so. And, and that's why we need to kind of run this on, on through. So, 1981, you've got your uh, new white sheets that I passed out. Um, Did we get a part eight? Uh, part eight was the back of the yellow sheet. Oh, okay. Had part Thank seven you. and part eight, okay. along with a little bit of the conservatives and, and, and the things of that sort. Um, taking a look then with... Part 9. As we're going to vote forward with 1981 and, uh, and, and go to the present, I've got about three pages that kind of go through it, um, I'm going to be doing parallel kind of things, and it will take time to kind of go through uh, some of the things that are, that are happening. Some of it is simply a matter of explaining or at least showing how uh, things remained the same since 1981 and the stuff that was going on. I think, just as you mentioned, there are times that congregations will get a pastor, will see something's going on, and it may pop up and they'll go, well, where did this come from? Well, obviously there's a... a a big history that kind of goes with it. However, uh, within uh, Missouri, there is a give and take. There is a swinging of the pendulum. There is both groups that are going on, the moderate liberals and the conservatives, professional <coughs> kind of thing. And we're going to find that if, as Berkey mentions, the Senate is the one who is the final authority, we, you will find that it all depends on who is in control and who is not. And when it switches, it's not that the Senate has changed. It's just that someone else is now at the helm telling you what's going on, and it's a new story, but what's underneath is the same uh, going on. It's a different emphasis. It's a different emphasis. So we're going to tell it from the conservative, we're going to tell it from the liberal, but it's the same thing. I can tell you that... Um, Having been ordained in 1991, uh, some of this already is something that I was familiar with before I got to uh, seminary, because I experienced some of these things, like the Great Commission convocations and things of this sort. Um, but by the time I was ordained, and 
identified more with the conservative group, we were told that uh, we're working to fix this. <laughs> and yes, there are problems, but, but, you know, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, and you don't know how this, and things are getting better. And so you would say, well, there used to be so many district, 36 district presidents, and there used to be so, now there's only so many that are liberal. And now we're starting to, and after so many years of going, yeah, I'm not quite sure that's exactly right. Um, and I'm not quite sure things are getting better and things of this sort. The final thing that, that was told was, all of these liberals are dying off. <laughs> They're all retiring, and at that point our problems will go away. So I ran some numbers. Um, if... And, and not all of these are true, but let's just say, if you go through college, and then you go through four years of seminary, and you come out at age 26 to begin as a, 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 a pastor, and you are going to retire at 72, you're going to have about 46 years of ministry. If that is the case, the ones who were 26 in 1969 to 74, let's say 1980, let's say 69 to 81, because that's kind of the place where this is going on, they would be retiring at age 72 between 2015 and 2027. Okay, I guess, you know, we're in the middle of this kind of, of, of thing. Um, there's a little problem with that. What is that? A lot of bad teaching going on. So, it's not a matter of, yeah, when those are gone, every, it's all been good. That's why, as we walk through this, you're going to go, Whoa! That it's continuing, and if it's continuing, you you can't do this by attrition. Well, not only are the ones that were that age now are the ones in charge, but they've been teaching all the ones all along, getting more of them. Bingo. So, I want to illustrate that. I want to show you some of these. In addition to that, this is also going to be a chance for me to return to, it's been a while, my own kids sometimes kind of go, so, what, state of confession? We, when did we leave Senate? I, I kind of vaguely remember, what's that all about? Um, okay, here's our website, Trinity Lutheran Church. Um, if you go to Bible studies, um, Obviously, you've got our present one. We're going to come on down here to related Bible studies. We're going to go to state of confession. And down under state of confession, I have produced all of our documents 
as well as when the elders went with me, and we have audios, we've got some videos, I've got all of the reports. In particular, this first one is the one that is a summary called The Six Points, uh, which we produced in post-2004. I've got, uh, if I download that, you have no doubt some of you seen this. It is a uh, one-page front and back that simply goes through this particular document of 17 pages. This is the first page of it, and it actually goes through, um, and we sent out gobs of these, along with DVDs and things of that sort. As you went on down through, there were ones that had our six points. And so they had things like, let's discuss closed and open communion. Um, our synod at the time said communion ought to be closed. Everybody practiced open communion. Why is this going on? Um, going on down, contemporary worship had been uh, promoted and, and uh, concerning. Uh, next thing is unionism and syncretism, the joining together of Lutherans with others who don't agree with us in doctrine and practice and having joint services. There was uh, the creation of lay ministers, men who were not ordained, and yet they were performing pastoral functions, uh, preaching, teaching, administering the sacraments, and the Senate was producing these. There was, uh, regarding the service of women, the distinction between uh, <coughs> genders, uh, and pretty well had collapsed the distinction between this to say that, except for the pastoral office, uh, there's no distinctions, and so had opened uh, that up completely. And finally, the sixth chief point was called dispute resolution and discipline. Um, as it mentioned here, going back to Robert Preuss tobacco from 1992, what did they do? They changed the way that you dealt with problems. Before, you could file charges, you could have your day in religious court to say, is this right, is this wrong? They changed it so that district precedents were now the only one who could pursue this. And they had, uh, that came later, but already before this, they had changed it to a dispute resolution rather than a court. In other words, we're going to try to uh, work things out together. Anyway, those are our six chief points. We're going to be coming back to those. Um, we're also going to see the timeline for how we left, why we left, what we did, uh, and how it took over six years uh, to try to get a, a, a hearing and, and, and not leave. So, I'm going to kind of set these things up side by side. We're going to kind of walk through some of those, and that's where we're going. Brian? Can you, can you tell online if anybody ever downloads or reads any of this stuff? I don't think I have a counter for this. <laughs> Um, I do know some that do and some that have told me, but, um, you know, it, it used to be kind of front and center. At, at this point, I don't know that, you know, it's, it's available, but... Um, I think we mailed it out to the churches and the pastors threw it in the garbage. Right, right. 
Um, and I, I know that, uh, you know, in, in a sense, the older guys are aware of these things. Um, the younger ones that are coming up, not so much. I'd say it was surprising how many times we would travel or go to another church and, you know, on vacation or something like If somebody found out who he was, there were many times where they say, I've got your six points on file. It was kind of shocking, but there there are a lot of people who actually read it, took it to heart, and they didn't necessarily do anything with it, but they took it seriously. It's planted. I think it's wonderful that it's planted because, you know, sometimes things take a long time to grow, like they did in me. They may grow with some of these other people. And, and uh, Violet has told me uh, that it had an effect on them. It's great. All right, let's take a look. Part number nine, beginning at about 1981. Jack Price was in, uh, in control. Uh, there is questions whether he retired <laughs> um, completely willingly or not, but the conservatives pretty well, after he had been there since 1969, said that if you don't retire, we're going to support somebody else to be synodical president. Um, there are things that he did which was very good uh, following the walkout, but he was still um, in fellowship with the ALC. His brother was at the helm of that. There were things that he wasn't doing enough uh, from that. And I'm going to say it's, it's no different from politically. Once you get into power, now you fight amongst yourselves. When you're not in power, you're all united to try to get your guy in. Um, as the 1981 convention came close, uh, Robert Royce, who was the synodical president... Uh, not Robert. Not Robert, sorry, Jack Price, wrong one. Yeah. Jack Price, J.O. Price, uh, put out a Lutheran Witness article in which he announced that Walter A. Meyer II, Walter A. Meyer Jr., who was considered a frontrunner for the synodical president, that he needed to warn everyone about his faulty theology concerning objective justification. Really? Walter A. Meyer was uh, was teaching at Fort Wayne, at the uh, Concordia Theological Seminary at Fort Wayne. Uh, He'd been at St. Louis, or Springfield. When he was at the Fort Wayne Seminary when the Fort Wayne Seminary was at Springfield. Correct. He... I've got some of his documents. Fabulous. Uh, exegetical. His uh, expertise was the Book of Romans. Now, the Book of Romans, justification by grace through faith, fabulous. He was also quite clear in explaining, and he would go through and say, now listen, um, I understand that people are using the term objective justification, and there are ways in which this can be properly understood but there are those who have, and he would call it an overstatement, is the way he said. They're overstating this. It's, you know, they're stating it as more than atonement. 
And he went on to talk about uh, uh, some things in Walter, but primarily in Pieper, who then followed him and things of that sort. And he went, that is an overstatement. Well, that's exactly what we have said. Due to this, the seminary president, Robert Preuss, uh, never removed him as a professor. But in, I'm going to say, dealing with those that were concerned about this, uh, said, well, he won't teach the book of Romans, but he'll remain a professor. Um, anyway, Christ put out a thing. He maligned Walter A. Meyer right before the uh, Senate. Um, Walter A. Meyer then in January made a statement to the Board of Control uh, to assure them that he, you know, agreed with Senate's position regarding objective justification. I've read it. I still, I, I, he, he didn't, he didn't change. He, he, he was quite clear, and he did not support objective justification. Finally, in November of 1982, he writes a paper called Justification by Grace Through Faith, and, and, and I'm going to say he completely agrees with what we have said concerning this thing. Um, when he makes the statement that he agrees with LCMS's state stance, what is LCMS's stance? Non, basically? Waffling or what? Can I comment on that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you look at the brief statement from 1932, that problem was already going on then. That problem is still going on in Missouri Synod. And the problem the problem is that in in one of Dr. Walther's was it Easter or Good Friday? Easter. Easter. He made a statement that when Christ rose from the dead, the whole world was justified. Yikes. Now that's that's okay because he was using a homiletical produ production there. But what 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 do you do when you when you sit down in the cold light of, of day and say what did he really say? Because that <coughs> statement in and of itself is universalism. Mm -hmm. Now I don't think Walter meant it that way, but that's what it is. And so, if you defend that statement, <coughs> then you can't actually say we're saved by grace through faith alone. Because grace has nothing to do with it. When Christ rose from the dead, everybody was saved. Well, that's not biblical. That's the short of it. It's just not biblical. And now for, since whenever he made that statement, probably back in 1850 or so, Missouri Synod has been fighting with that question still up to today. Now, how many years is that? <laughs> they, and they refuse to take a position. That's, it's as simple as that. And they refuse, what was the last thing? To take a position. So here's the thing. Missouri Senate speaks when it speaks in convention and it passes resolutions. Yep. 
when individuals who are part of the Missouri Senate speak, they're not necessarily speaking for the Missouri Senate. You don't know yet if that's the until Senate speaks. Prior to 1932, the brief statement, there were those within Missouri that would say OJ, there were those who would say not OJ. But when the brief statement in 1932 put it down on paper and the Senate approved it in convention, that became the official position of the Missouri Senate. And, 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 it, and it still is. That being said, what Pastor Rune tells you is, since 1932, there are still those within Missouri on both sides that some say, oh yes, there's objective justification and the whole world is justified whether you believe it or not. And there are those that say, oh no, that's not, it, it just means atonement and it's, and it's okay and it's not, it just means the whole world as opposed to one subjective you believe. And so there have been this as it went on since 1932, it has become more of an issue. All I'm telling you is that in 1980, you had a professor who denied objective justification, who taught at the seminary, who was an expert on this. Uh, Jack Price, who was his, not, uh, not Jack Price, Robert Price, who was his seminary uh, president did not remove him. Um, Neither did the synodical president. Until later. <laughs> <laughs> right. That we see. My point is that it was already going on already at this point. Still, it's although it's it's settled by 1932. In reality, you know, it's not something that's settled. I mean, that's crazy, but that's the way it is. <clears throat> so, this seems to be something that really stayed under the radar for a long time. Because I remember when, when Paul Rodecki first brought this issue up, and Aldona got involved in this. <clears throat> At the time, you know, you said, you know, you went through seminary and this was not an issue. So, this has just stayed hidden. I mean, he was making this statement back in 1980. So, where, I mean, so only came to why is this an years? issue in 1981? Because of the election for district for It has nothing to do with doctrine, Shirley. It has to do with Jack Croish did not want Walter A. Meyer to become the next fanatical president. And so, oh, yes. your point is well made. The point is, is that. Is this a, a big doctrinal point? No. Is it something that, you know, every now and then it comes out, why? Politics? It's I, the I, October surprise. It's the thing that you can do. So, yes, that's exactly the point. Well, I was just going to say, when, we, when he was at the seminary, they had, on Tuesday nights, they had classes for seminary wives with various professors that they wanted to go. Yeah. And I, ha I always went to Dr. Myers. Anything he taught, I went to because he was really great. And and in one of those, you know, he he said, now you may have heard that I'm teaching false doctrine. I just want to tell you that's not true, and that's just political. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was, you know, and he, he was such a great teacher. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> There are, in my uh, library, 
Um, there is an Old Testament commentary series called Kyle and Dalage. Pretty well, all the Lutheran pastors, you go Old Testament, that's what you get. New Testament, you get one by R.C.H. Lenski, which is the New Testament one. Lenski thoroughly, especially in Romans and whatever, debunks every time, uh, you know, like those five or six passages that they're kind of saying, and he goes, no, that's not, and he goes against it. Now, R.C.H. Lenski was never in the Missouri Senate. He was in the Ohio Senate, the Joint Senate of Ohio. However, he had very high things to say, uh, very good things to say about doctrine and practice in Missouri Senate and things of that sort. But this commentary series was used by, you know, pastors of 50 years um, and still is being used. And again, it's there. My only point is that, you know, when when this came up and we go, what's going on? Yeah, yeah what's still going on? And, and it's... 1981, Ralph Bowman, not Walter A. Meyer, gets elected. The conservatives rally behind him. He is, when 1974, and you had the walkout, there were the five faithful. He is one of the five faithful back in 1974. Bear in mind, he was never faithful. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have to say it. Um, what you're going to find is that, um, and I'm, I'm going to try to bring in uh, uh, this particular uh, website uh, is is by a man Ed Schroeder, who mm -hmm. was instrumental in the walkout. He's now reminiscing 30 years later at the uh, Seminex. And he's talking about what's going on. He's got a lot of uh, interesting things to say and very revealing as he looks back and talks about it. Um, but what is uh, kind of interesting, as he goes back, he will talk about the five that stayed behind. And he goes, I know they talk about them being the five faithful and whatever. He goes, they believed and taught the same stuff that we did. They just sided with the Senate and wouldn't leave. Mm, interesting. Um, as he talks about um, uh, January 20th, Missouri Senate National Convention back in New Orleans, he talks about what they did. The faculty majority was accused of false teaching. Um, he talks about using a historical critical method, uh, practicing gospel reductionism, uh, fudging on the uh, teaching of the third use of the law, and kind of going through. He talks about uh, uh, the teachings at Valparaiso. Interesting. I thought about that last week while attending the conference of Daystar folks. I'm going to come back to this. This is a, uh, a, a group. And we'll come back to it. It's one of the groups within Missouri critical of Senate's continuing legalism. Uh, explain, uh, this is one of the liberal groups that don't like the conservatives. On more than one occasion, I was sitting but meters away from Ralph Bowman, who is now a Daystar compatriot, and he's on the side of the angels. Interesting. Um, after Ralph Bowman was no longer elected, and 
and Barry took over, uh, Bowman showed more of his true colors. Let me keep going. 1980 is about the time that contemporary Christian music uh, takes off. The movement began. Uh, 1975, a group that is well-known in Missouri, Dave and Barb Anderson, began their music careers. Uh, both were Missouri Senate, and they are uh, very instrumental in bringing contemporary Christian music to the forefront within Missouri itself. Coming on down here, 1980-1988, the LCMS began something called the Great Commission Convocations, um, as you can see, uh, 1980, just about the time of Ralph Bowman and kind of coinciding with uh, the stuff that he is doing. What were these? These were convocations designed for empowering laymen with missions, evangelism, contemporary worship, and all kinds of stuff. Um, I went to one of these in 1982 or so, um, uh, or 83, somewhere right around there. I was a senior in high school. Um, it was at the Cervantes Center in downtown St. Louis. There were people everywhere. Um, I grew up in a small congregation in Mount Vernon. Uh, there were five uh, kids, including myself, in our confirmation class. Um, two of them were boys, three were girls. I figured I had to marry one of these three girls if I was going to marry a Lutheran. I didn't know that there were any other Lutherans my age at that time. Um, two of the three were delinquents and never attended church, but they got confirmed. Um, and the other girl was ugly. I, I didn't Okay? Um, when I went to this, I was amazed, you know, at, at, at what was there. Um, I came back and thought I would help with bumping up the music a bit, you know, um, things of that sort. Um, I can also tell you, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, um, while I was there, you know, they had us all in these hotels and things of this sort. Um, and, and, and I was, I was a, I was a good Lutheran boy. Uh, I read my Bible. I had, you know, and I was interested in these kind of things. One, at one particular point, they, they had us in small groups, small groups, you know, <laughs> they had us in small groups and things of this sort. And one particular, I'm going to say he was a DCE, a director of Christian education, one of these half-trained laymen, whatever, who took everyone aside at some point during these four or five days. And I remember him taking me aside and wanting to know about my spiritual life. And if Jesus, if I really had Jesus down in my heart. And I was, you know, and it was just like, I, I mean, it kind of made me I skin crawl. I mean, it was this crazy, charismatic, crazy stuff. Um, I put a quote here. Uh, I looked up Wikipedia. Here's what Wikipedia says. Contemporary worship is a form of Christian worship that emerged within Western evangelical Protestantism in the 20th century. Yeah, right about now. And it was originally confined to the charismatic movement. But it's now found in a wide range of churches, including many which do not subscribe to charismatic theology. Where did this come from? It's charismatic. That's exactly what it is. And that is where it started to go. And so we were having trouble moving Missouri Senate along. We thought, you know what? We're going to get the layman involved. 
And so, how do you do this? You do this through the Lutheran Layman's League. You do it through the Lutheran Women's Missionary League was big. You do it through national youth gatherings starting in 1986. You do it through these great commission convocations, which are lay uh, uh, groups. And from this, you can go and change what's going on. We said we had trouble. Only the pastors, they're not doing enough. Well, guess what? We're going to bypass the pastors, and we'll bring the Senate to them. Get Patty, and then... Okay, I've got my hands up. You got your hands up? Are you... Uh... I didn't want anything. I just got my hands up. You just... <laughs> <laughs> the spirit has moved her. I got... Yeah. You got it? I got it. It's like any evil political movement. First, you re-educate the children. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right. Everything in life's about power, and this is only about membership numbers. That's all it was. They felt like they weren't as influential. They're not getting the members, and some of the charismatic groups are. So we got to get more people in the church. And it and 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 it changed Missouri. Well, I think Brian Brian's statement: we've got to get more people in the church. It's very interesting because from 1980, if you look at the statistics of Missouri Synod. From 1980 until now, they have not grown. If this was such a great thing, you would think that they have that they would have grown. But the fact of the matter is, at this point in time, they're losing people like crazy. Karn? Um, I think it was in junior in high school that I went to one of the very first national youth gatherings down in San Antonio, Texas. And um, I was invited to be a part of a musical play that they was going to perform on stage in front of these 10,000 youth that were going to be there. It was written by Pastor Dean Nasty, who's a big liberal in Missouri Synod. Um, it was my sister's pastor for years, but I had no idea what I was doing. But honestly, the play was about homo, it was called, we sang a song called Homogeneity Keeps Us the Way That We Want to Be. It was all about those stuffy church members who will not change and we needed to change the church. That's what the musical was about, but at the time I didn't realize it. I just was getting up there on stage singing and having a good time. I had no idea. Um, we got sucked in and it was our kids were there. You were probably corrupting them. I <laughs> yes, I'm embarrassed to say of all the things that I got sucked into and did. Yeah. We, all, we all are embarrassed about what we Well, the trouble it. is that when you're trying to, when your focus is on the wrong thing, you're replacing different members of the body, and you have to ask yourself, is it the same body anymore? Once you replace so many things, can you just grasp something else onto it and call it the same thing? Yeah. The answer is mm. definitely not. Well, it happens very quickly. When you take the word out, where do you go? You replace the heart. As soon, as soon as you see something talking about missions, you know the first thing that disappears there is the scriptures. Now, it's that's inevitable because it becomes a psychological... Uh, Focus. What's the word I'm looking for? The focus changes. Well, yeah, the, the focus changes from, from the scriptures or from yeah, from the scriptures to psychology. How can I influence this person to do what I want him to do? We see how does the church grow? Through the word. Through the word. Through the word. How does the church grow? 
That being said, if you've got the Word in the church, how does the church grow? The Holy Spirit. How do, if you've got the mission objective in, 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 the, in the church, how does the church grow? It just can't. You, you've got a civil organization. You've got... Entertainment. So Pastor Arun did mention growth. And again, that was big. That's what we wanted. That's What did it happen? No. Maybe sometime I'll run the numbers for you and kind of show that even at the time that Missouri Senate was in this great growth, you're looking at between World War One and World War Two, which is a second grade immigration that was going on. Yep. Brian? I think I can address this, uh, Pastor Hurd's point of our attendance, uh, attendance went down because if you've ever been to a contemporary worship service in a big Baptist or some church, they do it fabulous. I've been to Lutheran ones that are just a little bigger than our congregation. It's the worst thing you ever sat in your life. So if we're going to compete in that arena, we're going to lose. And it was just the wrong move. You know, it was just, it, not only doctors, I remember. we're terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know see, the problem is, you Germans just can't sing. The Commission on Theology and Church Relations put together a report. It used to be that the pastor did this. Now, now they had a, a commission that did this. This was established back uh, before as so they are dealing with it. This is not the first study. Remember when we talked about ELCA and having study after study? This is not the first study that came out concerning male and female and this particular one entitled Women in the Church. But what did it do? It went, and I quote, a woman does not have authority over man. They said this applies only to the exercise of the pastoral office. And so at this point, now you can have elders that are women. You can have chairmen of the congregation that are women. You can have, I mean, it finally got it down to its bare minimum. Um, this doesn't sound... But this is a part of why <coughs> our six points and what we were talking about, because uh, it had changed things, and this is only the beginning. Why was this being pushed? Because of women's ordination. And so you're going to see that pop up. I talked about the youth gathering, 1987, a group called Renewal in Missouri a charismatic association of congregations and pastors within the LCMS begins in 1987. You go, what? Yeah. Um, and they produced a monthly newsletter that they sent out to all the congregations talking about these kind of things. Um, and so we're going to go through, and I'm going to follow their history and let you see what happens uh, with this as it goes forward. And so those who would say, now, were there documents concerning charismatic, you know, by the CTCR? Oh, yes. Yes, there were. Um, um, when I was in college, it was right around 1987, um, a guy had befriended me, and it wasn't long before he told me about his charismatic tendencies, trying to get me to understand and to maybe pull me into it. 
freaked me out completely, and I just kind of cut off all relations. The guy is now a pastor in Missouri Synod, just saying that, yeah, alive and well. The connection between charismatic, contemporary worship, and all, I mean, I'm sorry, you can draw that connection quite easily. It fits the theology and the practice that goes with it. Um, I'm going to stop about here. Um, We'll start with 1989. This all happens to be under the time in which uh, Ralph Bowman uh, was the synodical president. Uh, We're going to see as it kind of goes through 1989, we've got a little bit more to go before uh, Dr. Barry uh, comes to uh, power in 1992. We'll come back to that. Any other? All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have established your church, and we ask, dear Lord, that you would keep us uh, faithful to your word, uh, that we would uh, be faithful in receiving your word and, and sacraments for the strengthening of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.